recorded live from the WAYOFM.org studios in the fabulous Fetter Building in wonderful Rochester, New York, where the leaves are just starting to change. Welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her, and she goddess. And I am Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her, as well. In this podcast, we take an objective look at dramatic change, and as two transgender women, we know a thing or two about that. We have a very special Transformation Thursday today because we have our first phone-in guest. It's Lieutenant Colonel Bree Brian Fram. Bree is an active duty officer in the United States Air Force and a board member of SPARTA, a transgender military advocacy organization. Bree is an active duty aeronautical engineer, literally a rocket scientist. She was working on a revolutionary propulsion system that inadvertently blasted her to the Cree homeworld, where Jan Rog, her mentor and commander, uh, educated her in the ways of the Star Force, using rigorous training to control her special oh, powers, Penny. helping her become Captain Marvel. Oh, Penny, everybody knows that's not true. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Marvel? Well, no, you're getting her confused with Brie Larson. Brie Fram advocates for and educates military and civilians alike about transgender military service and is dedicated to the support of professional development of over 750 transgender service members. Oh, that, that's really much more on brand for us, isn't it? Yeah, didn't you read the background material that I sent you earlier? No, I was waiting for the movie. <sighs> We'll be right back after the traditional music swell and fade up. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one, the coins, money, about how people can give us some of theirs so that we can and continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses and by going to transformationthursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. Our guest today is literally on the front lines of transgender acceptance in the military. Bree Fram has been in the United States Air Force since 2003. Rising to the rank of lieutenant colonel on June 30th of 2016, the day the transgender ban in the military was dropped by then-President Obama, Bree came out publicly as transgender. Less than three years later, that ban was reinstated, and although she 
is still allowed to serve as her true gender, she had to scramble to get a diagnosis of gender dysphoria before the April 12th deadline of this year. In order to do so, a diagnosis she wasn't entirely comfortable getting at that time, Bree is here to talk about her personal journey as well as the big picture of what may or may not happen to transgender service members with an openly hostile administration in power. Bree, welcome to Transformation Thursday. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is fantastic. I know since Penny and I have started um, our little gender adventure here and our Transformation Thursday, we've one of the things we first talked about was having you on, and we talked about this, and I know I messaged you a while back, so thank you so much. And I think with this week, I think this is the perfect time to have you on. Well, it's a pleasure. Anytime I get a chance to tell a little story uh, and tell about some of the amazing work our transgender service members are doing, I'm happy to take it. I'm glad to hear that. And could we just start with uh, a couple of real quick things? Uh, like, just tell us your, your personal journey. I know that on the day that the ban was lifted, that you came out, but uh, could you, would you be comfortable talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the, the when you knew and how hard it was to come out and, and just your basic backstory? Sure. Uh, it's <laughs> We can start at any number of different places, but uh, I've known there was something different about myself since I was young. I just didn't have the words to describe it. But uh, going back as early as, you know, three, four years old, I was Wonder Woman for Halloween. Uh, and when I was uh you know, around 10 or so, my parents caught me in, in my mom's things and sent me off to a psychologist who, after one or two sessions, said, ah, he's normal enough. Uh, and it was kind of forgotten about by, by them and the rest of the world uh, after that point. Uh, normal but certainly enough. I love that. Hello. Yes, that's, that, those were literally the words. And I don't remember much from my childhood, but I remember that very clearly. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it kind of was just something I knew about myself. I knew it wasn't going away, but still it was, you know, was this just something that was a part of me or was it who I am? And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that it started to get to that point of, yeah, I think this is identity. This is, this is me. Uh, and so we got to that point but I'm serving in the military and you can't be trans in the military at the time. So there's this, you know, area, this focus on being in the closet where you have to be somewhat protective and you have to have this filter that's in your brain that sits in between your thoughts uh, and the words that come out of your mouth or your actions where you've got to think, Hey, if I actually said what I was doing this weekend or who I was doing it with, and that made it to the wrong year, I might lose my career for something that has absolutely nothing to do with my ability to serve. So that was a, you know, worrisome time when I started to, you know, explore my identity, but still had to worry about what this meant for me in my career. So fast forwarding. Yeah. Oh, it's just going to say, and then, Please. you know, we, we grew up in a similar area in a similar time. You're a little bit younger than me. So after 10 years old, was there anything else in between that time and the time that you got to the military where, you know, you were experimenting at all or doing any type of those things? Well, there was, 
as I said, it, it never went away for me. I was doing plenty of, of research, though. In the, I was right on the border of the Internet becoming wildly available, uh, widely available as well, I suppose. And so it was that first, oh, can I find something in the library to read about what this is? Uh, and where can I go once I get a car? Or how do I go about finding on this uh, online? So I was lucky enough to realize from a pretty early age as a, you know, a young teenager that I wasn't alone in this at least, but it still wasn't something, you know, that would be public. Uh, the first person I really told about it was, uh, my, what, who is now my wife when we met, when I was, uh, I was 20, she was 21. And on our, uh, cup, it might have been fourth or fifth dates, you know, three weeks after I met her, you know, I knew this was something about me that I needed to tell her because I could, I could see it going somewhere with her. And I knew it was big enough a part of my life. It wasn't going away that I owed her that upfront that may, although I couldn't put my finger on what it was, she needed to know. So yes, um, you know, being, exploring what it meant to be trans, even if I didn't have the words at the time, you know, was a continual part of my life um, from childhood through adolescence and, and adulthood. And what was her reaction? Was she supportive immediately or did it take time or what happened? Well, I, I've learned that I told her two things she didn't want to hear on that date. Uh, the first was that I loved her. And she wasn't ready for that after coming off a relatively long-term relationship prior to, to dating me. And, and the second was, you know, that I like to wear women's clothes. And she basically said, well, it was kind of the same thing. You're normal enough and I like you. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't an immediate end to anything, it, but it was the beginning of a roller coaster ride. Uh, she has been absolutely fabulous, but it is not easy. It has truly been up and down. We've had some some very challenging points in our relationship, but she is stuck by my side through all of it. That's amazing. And if you write an autobiography and the title of your book is not normal enough, I will be completely disappointed in you. <laughs> you know, that's an excellent suggestion. I'm going to have to put that down. I'm, I'm writing a book right now, but it's mostly other people's stories about being trans. Yeah. Uh, but mine, some of mine is in there. Maybe I can title my, my section that. Is it about trans in the military? The, what's your, the book you're writing? It is. Yeah. Uh, hopefully next year we've got a publishing contract uh, and we should have some great stories in there about people serving through different eras and what the experience was like, you know, going back to Korea, Vietnam, and now, you know, what does it look like and what's different today about being trans in the military? So you've got, you've made contact with a number of ex-military people who have come out after they've, uh, after they've been out of active duty? Yeah, it's amazing. People serve, uh, transgender people serve at twice the rate of their cisgender counterparts. So the transgender veteran population is enormous. Uh, there's an organization called the Transgender American Veterans Association, uh, which does great work making sure they've got access to services. Uh, so their stories are out there. They're out there doing amazing things in the community, working with the VA. Uh, it, it's great to connect with the veterans as well as working extensively with the active duty population. Okay. So when you came out, you were actively serving 
Uh, and you came out on was it June thirtieth? Was that the the day that the the, the ban was lifted? June thirtieth of of two thousand sixteen. I came out the moment the Secretary of Defense finished speaking, announcing the end of the ban. Did, and where did where like were you with your with your uh, with your unit? Where were you like turn around and say, oh well, that's by the way they're talking about me? Uh, how how did that happen? So I was working in the Pentagon at the time. And I, I thought a lot about going down to where the secretary was speaking to, to sit in the back of the room, uh, thought a little better of it, stayed at my desk, watched on uh, the closed circuit TV. But when he was done, I had a Facebook post ready to go to the world. And I had an email to my colleagues and, you know, the nerves hit as he wrapped up. But eventually I, I hit post, I hit send, and then I ran away. Uh, I ran down to the bowels of the Pentagon, went to the gym, got on the elliptical, and went nowhere faster than I ever have in my life. Uh, I'd like to think I probably burned the motor out on that elliptical machine with all the nervous energy I had, wondering, what's the reaction going to be like? Uh, but when I went back to my office, I sat down, and one by one, the people I worked with came over to me, shook my hand, and said, it's an honor to serve with you. And so I was floored, you know, near tears because they had it backwards. It was my honor to work with them. Uh, and on Facebook, it was nothing but love from friends and family, just amazing reactions. And I am so lucky for that. Uh, but I have to say, I have a lot of privilege in, in coming out and getting that kind of reaction. You know, I'm white. I'm a relatively senior officer. I'm nerdy. I'm in the Air Force. Uh, there's a lot of things I had going for me that a lot of other people coming out might not. Uh, and even with that, my wife got a lot of negative reaction. She lost some friends and family over me coming out. Nothing that she did, but still, and that that really hurt. Uh, so overall, very good, but some definitely negative aspects around it. So, so Bree, as, as you're talking through this, you know, there's a lot of similarity there. You know, when I came out, a lot of positivity, a lot of love. But on the flip side of that, my wife had a lot of negative reaction, you know, coming from, you know, a, a few friends. And, you know, we definitely lost some. And I know we're separating from one right now just because of some comments. But that's neither here nor there for this conversation. But beyond your immediate, you know, work group and your immediate friends, you know, in between 2016 and April of this year, how are your colleagues with you? You know, as you know, you branched out. I know you travel a lot for your job within the Air Force right now. So as you interacted beyond your immediate work group, how how did that play out for you? So it really has been nothing but amazing support for me in, in the military. Um, still, I, I realize, you know, Based on position and rank, I do have privilege and experiences that a lot of people, say someone who is 19 and uh, Latino or African-American serving in the infantry and the Marines doesn't have. I have a lot of respect just because of what sits on my collar and my record of performance. But people, my leadership, people that work for me, my peers have all been incredible. The best thing about the military is we value what you bring to the mission. And as long as you're contributing, that's going to be the key factor for probably 99% of people. Yeah, we've got some problem people out there who focus on other things and don't care about what you bring, but focus on what you are. 
Uh, but overwhelmingly, support has been incredible for me. Uh, I've changed some hearts and minds just by showing up and getting the job done every day. In fact, I had one person who was my supervisor for about eight months, and he retired at the end of that, tell me that I completely broke his stereotype about what a trans person is, once again, just by coming to work and getting the job done. Well, and also, Bree, you know, this is probably a good place to jump over. You know, right before the new ban, you you had a lot of hoops to jump through for yourself, and you were also working through some of your own personal issues. And do you mind spending a little bit of time on, you know, what what that process looked like for you and your wife as you're, you know, leading up to April 12th of this year? Let's also talk a bit about why April 12th was important, just in case people aren't expressly familiar about that. April 12th was the date that you had to in order to get to, to, to serve as your actual gender, you had to get a diagnosis of gender dysphoria in order to sure. continue so as yourself. You, you're is, right. Is that the April 12th I'll was you talk the day that unless talking. you had a diagnosis of gender dysphoria on your record, uh, confirmed by a military medical provider, you would be unable to seek any sort of transition related care or change your gender marker within the military. So basically, that's the day the, the effective ban went into place. And that, that date was announced a month earlier. So when that happened, because there had been a long court fight uh, going on, and it was in January that the Supreme Court finally er, relented to the administration and said, fine, while these cases work through the lower courts, we will allow you to put the ban into place. So the administration worked through kind of shuffled up what the policy was actually going to look like, and in early March released it and said, all right, it's effective as of April 12th. So there were a lot of people, myself included, that had to you know, look into that crystal ball at that point and make a decision about what our future might hold or what we needed to do, because we didn't know how long this ban was going to be in place. Was it going to be two years? Was it going to be six? Was it going to be longer? So to protect ourselves or just to access the medical care that is needed and granted to every other service member for a condition, we had to get that on our record. So for me, I had long resisted getting gender dysphoria on my record because a key component of that diagnosis is this clinically significant distress. And I just couldn't fathom having something on my medical records that said I exhibited clinically significant distress. That was a very negative term for me. Well, I've described, you know, being trans and I talked briefly about having to filter your thoughts, but it had never been something that I thought truly affected my duty. Uh, I had been, you know, well received and I had a great record of performance. So did this accurately describe me? But I kind of had to bite the bullet and say, if I want to protect my future and my ability to seek necessary medical care, should I or my doctor determine it to be necessary, then yeah, I had to get the diagnosis. And the introspection and the conversations with my wife and the figuring out how to do that in the short period of time wasn't easy. Yeah. How soon, how, how much time did you have uh, once you decided to do this to, to April 12th? When did you actually get the diagnosis on in your, uh, in, your, uh, in, your, in your medical record? It was supposed to be April 12th. I'd have to go, 
go check, but I think I got it confirmed by a military provider uh, around April 6th. Wow. So it was close. Yeah. And then and that, what was the process there? Did you go in and say, hey, doc, I'm trans. Can you do this? How much work did you have to do to get that? And where was so, and where was was there a military somebody there that in in your where you were working that was able to do that or did you have to find somebody? An added layer of the challenge was I'm at a remote duty station. We don't have any military doctors where I'm at. Our closest Air Force base is four hours away. Hmm. So what I had to do was go to my civilian provider, uh, get him to give me the diagnosis of gender dysphoria, and I basically wrote a letter or a memo to the military saying, here's exactly what uh, they want to hear, had him sign that, send it to the Air Force medical team in San Antonio, which kind of centralizes some transgender care, have them review it, and they gave me a provisional diagnosis, which was enough to cover me for having it on my record and that they could later you know, fully confirm it uh, at, a later, at a later date when I visited them. I just hearing this am getting a little bit irked at the um, at, at the level of mercy that that you were at in order to you know be yourself here that that gatekeeper function of all these people having to look at you and 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 examine you in one way or another in order to say yeah you're who you say you are I don't really see that in any in anybody else in the world other than transgender people. It really is a high hurdle that we face where, you know, you're not believed necessarily on the face of it. You have to convince other people. And that is a tough battle that tons of trans people have to face in so many different circumstances. And unfortunately, the military is no different. Right. Uh, and you have, you're part of an organization called Sparta. Uh, do, is, is that, uh, is there advocacy for trans troops in, in this area with, with that organization? Or, or what is that organization? Because you're like the communications director for that organization? That's right. I, I sit on the board of directors and work most of our external relations with other organizations. Uh, Sparta is a group that does education and advocacy on behalf of transgender service members. And we also run an internal support network for all the members serving in the uh, active duty, guard, or reserve worldwide. We have about a thousand people currently serving in in our group, uh, and we also run a another group for future warriors. So right now, these are the people that are trans and want to get into the military, and unfortunately, that's become much harder for them. But we support both populations to make sure they're taken care of. They get access to the latest and greatest information, and we work to improve the policies where we can. So, Bree, you're mentioning real quick that, you know, there still are transgender people that do want to serve in the military. So how does the new ban apply to them and how do they work with that to be able to serve their country? Basically, the policy that is in place right now says that being trans is a disqualifier for service. In order to serve, you have to be stable in how they define your biological gender for up to three years and agree to serve in that gender to get in. Uh, it's difficult process for someone to deny themselves or potentially detransition in order to get in. Now, the policy does say waivers exist, but 
we haven't seen any of those waivers exercised at this point. And that waiver authority is held at the level of the service secretaries. So that's a pretty high bar to get a waiver for someone trying to get into the service. So functionally, it is a complete ban at this point for anyone new trying to get into the military. So if you're, so let's just say you're a 14 year old and for some reason you, you have, and you transition early in life, let's just say, and you are stable for three years and, you know, by the age of 21, you decide, Hey, I want to sign up. And they've been transitioning, let's say since 17, is that person able to get into the military? Uh, Under the current policy? No, they would have to uh, detransition, then be stable for that period, uh, for for that three plus years uh and it's it's a bear that's not something we would want anyone to have to go through i mean that's a that's an assault on dignity in in many regards yeah and so what you've been involved with some of these conversations i think that i've seen online but what's the rationale from the administration is it purely you know what i would call the evangelical side that pence pushes or i I don't i know you probably have to be a little bit careful in your wording there but what's the rationale yeah i I do have to caveat that as an active duty service member there are some things i just can't say uh you know i try and stay away from politics and focus on positive outcomes but what i can say is that the arguments that are levied against transgender service members are the same arguments that were thrown against every minority group that has integrated into the military over the years. And basically it boils down to, we cost too much, we are gonna be a burden to the military by disrupting unit cohesion and morale. And over and over again, we have proven that's not the case. African-Americans face the same arguments. Women face the same arguments. Lesbians and gays face the same thing. And with each inclusion of those minority groups, our military has been stronger for it. It's the same with trans people. And a particularly challenging part of the policy is that there is a clause in it that says if any of the court cases find that the policy is discriminatory, because those of us that are still allowed to serve are doing our jobs and doing it well, you know, they can sever that clause from the policy that allows us to continue serving. So we're still hanging by a thread here, those of us that are allowed to serve, if a court finds the policy to be discriminatory. So it's, it's not an easy place to be in to try and walk that tightrope. Uh, But bottom line is that we are going to continue to do our job to lace up our boots every day and get the mission done uh, until either the policy changes again or we're told we can no longer serve in this military. Yeah, that is a very difficult position that you're in. How do you what steps do you take to prepare for the future when it's so up in the air? Uh, What steps do you advise to other trends that that you've admitted, say, you have privilege there are other people who are in there that you, I'm sure you are in contact with. What, what, does, what does future planning look like for you? So the number one goal is to get back to a policy of open service. Yeah. And our best weapon in that is sharing our stories and showing the wider public and our lawmakers, more importantly, 
what value trans people bring to the services. So when the president tweeted uh, in 2017 that trans people were a burden on, on the military and that he was going to put this ban into place, around 50% of the American population uh, was in favor of trans people being allowed to serve. Within two months, that number had moved up to 65% of people being in favor, and more recently, it's hovering around 70%. And the primary reason that is, is because I think the president was right in saying he was doing us a favor on this, because he's shown the spotlight on us, and that spotlight revealed people doing amazing things day in and day out for the military. We had a drill sergeant in People magazine who happened to be trans. We had people on Ellen and on The View and testifying before Congress who just happened to be trans, and they got to share their stories of the amazing things they did from infantry to logistics to engineering, intelligence, aviators, everyone just contributing, and the fact that they were trans didn't matter. Um, I'll just one quick story. When I shortly after I came out, uh, I got to spend about two hours talking with a general about trans issues, and he related how during the Don't Ask, Don't Tell period, he knew everyone in the squadron who just happened to be lesbian or gay, and he was a fighter pilot. And so he talked about the fact that it didn't matter who you were if you were flying on his wing and you had his back. Who cared what you were? outside of the military. Your focus was on the mission and protecting one another. And it's the same with trans issues. We're going to take care of our fellow troops, and we're going to push towards a policy of open service again. But, and Bree, one of the things that, you know, I know a little bit about your background, but, you know, you you just said here in the beginning of this interview, you're a nerd, self-described. You're, you're, a, you're a science geeky nerd. I mean, you hold some pretty high level and you're doing some amazing stuff. So, I mean, I look at you and say, okay, talk about your educational background. I mean, I think you're entitled to even give yourself a big pat on the back. I mean, do we really want to, and maybe we can transition this over to something a little less egotistical, maybe, but... No, 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 there's no. nothing. She's a freaking rocket scientist. Let's not, let's not minimize that. Well, no, and that's, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. You know, do we want somebody with Bree's it, level right. what of you've been talking education about here in these, and experience in, in being booted is out? all fear-based decision-making by a, 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 very, a very few number of very loud people who have, you know, fairly large pulpits that they can preach from. And it's really heartening to see how little pull that's getting. But still, you're, you're an amazing woman doing amazing work, and it would be stupid to lose people like you. And they're, they're, this, is a, this, is a, this is a volunteer organization, and you volunteered to do this. And I, 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 there's really, I mean, I guess this is just the brief fan club going off here, but uh, thank you for your service, and I really appreciate everything that you've done. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate it. And I think it was best summed up. There was a cartoon uh, that came out slightly after the president tweeted, announced the ban, uh, and it shows him and a general sitting on a balcony or standing on a balcony of the White House, and there was an inbound North Korean missile, because this was the same time we were really worried about uh, nuclear fire and fury with North Korea. And the, the caption says, uh, the general speaking to the president, uh, we had a guy who could shoot it down, but he was transgender. <laughs> and that really sums up 
my career, because as a rocket scientist, an astronautical engineer for the Air Force, I've worked on missile warning satellites. I have helped design what we have in space that is watching the Earth constantly for any of these rocket launches and will cue our defense systems that we had in place. So it is that experience that you really risk losing by throwing trans people out of the military. We are not a military that's going to win wars by conscripting someone, putting a rifle in their hand, and in two weeks sending them to take a hill. We are going to win future wars with brain power. And that brain power is developed over years. And if some of those brains that are going to revolutionize cyber warfare or design the next outstanding piece of technology that our military uses just happen to be in trans bodies, we should not turn those away. I'm 100% behind you on that, Brie. Yep. Uh, it's it's an amazing story, and you're an amazing human being. I, I this has nothing to do with the topic, but I was reading your biography, and you are were the legislative fellow at the U.S. Capitol, serving on behalf on the staff of Congresswoman Madeline Madeline Bordalo, who is the congresswoman for Guam. How did you so how did you end a, up uh, major with in, the in the Air Force? I was selected Guam. for a fellowship at the Capitol along with 23 others. And we got uh, divided up and assigned to congressional offices. And the services kind of bid on who's going where. And, uh, but when it was released to us, we had no idea what the process was like. And all I could figure was they were throwing darts at a map of the United States, missed badly, one landed in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And so I went to work for the congressman in Guam. And it was, it was perfect. It worked out amazingly well. She was awesome to work for. She was a very senior Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, I got to do things working for her that I never would have done in any other case uh, to learn and understand the behind the scenes process of how you know things actually become laws and where to interject yourself into the process to make a difference. Uh, it really was cool. And probably the best thing I learned that translates to advocacy and what people can do to support good causes is call and write your representatives. Sometimes one call, one letter can make a difference. We were briefing the congresswoman on an issue and trying to determine what her position should be. And she asked the staff, well, has anyone called us on this? And we said, yes, ma'am, one person. And they were in favor. And she said, all right, if that person cared enough to let me know about it, this is what we should be doing. And so for the same things, for trans service, for other social justice issues, call your legislators, write them a letter, tell them you care, and they may change their minds if they haven't already. That's, that's really great, great information. And also, I, I thought that you guys got put together because she's originally from Minnesota too, isn't she? She is. It was, it was pretty amazing that I, I told her, Ma'am, when I got to the Hill, I, I was hoping I'd work for someone from Minnesota. I just didn't think it would be via Guam. <laughs> so oh, you Minnesotans are oh, all over hey, the place. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Easy on us Minnesotans, don't you know, right? <laughs> hey, Bree, were you having well, any hot dish tonight for dinner? 
<laughs> well, we we uh, we made a brisket. It was oh, wonderful. Oh <laughs> yeah, sure you don't. So that so real quick, I'm gonna tell this quick little personal story here. So, you know, so when Bree and I became friends on Facebook, you know, you do the Facebook stalking and I'm looking through her profile, and she's from a suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota. That's just on the other side of the river from where I grew up. But where she grew up is like my cousins went to high school at the same high school she went to and the same years and everything. So I'm like, hey, do you know, maybe here's my here's my last name. Here's my cousins. And she's like, no, I, I but I had your aunt for my kindergarten teacher. Oh, my word. Really? <laughs> All right, it's, okay, I'm, I'm looking for the little the little doll singing It's a Small World After All here. Or is it just everybody from Minnesota knows everybody else from Minnesota? One or the other. Well, there, it's close. There are maybe four million of us, so we try. Yeah. yeah. The only Minnesota story is I, ha I spent three wonderful weeks, well, two, two and a half wonderful weeks. I was part of the Minnesota Fringe Festival. I, I am a storyteller. And I have a show called Spy in the House of Men, a one-woman show with balls. And it was really well-received in Minnesota. So uh, you Minnesotans have good taste as far as I'm concerned. I agree. It's an incredibly welcoming group. Yep. Yes, we are. So I, I think that's I, – I, I really appreciate your time, uh, you Lieutenant Thank Colonel you, Bram. And, yeah, thanks, uh, for, thanks so much for coming on, Bree. And sometime I think we need to meet in Syracuse for a coffee. Oh, that's right. You're not far Yeah, from I here. would look forward to that. You're stationed in Rome, not. right? You're stationed in Rome? That's right. Rome, New York. Not so Rome, I've, I've got another, uh, another uh, six or eight months here before, before moving on. All right. Well, we definitely got to put that on the calendar then before you uh, move out of New York. Then I'll bring I'll... some Lutefisk. Oh, that's not an enticing. <laughs> that's not. That, yeah, that doesn't no, sweeten the deal. <laughs> Bree, thank you so much for your time and, and good luck. And we... Uh, we may be contacting you in the future once the Supreme Court has handed down uh, their, their rulings uh, to see how that's going to be affecting you, if that would be okay. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And we'll be right back with more Transition Thursday. Right Transformation after, Thursday. Transformation Thursday right after this. If you'd like to support Transformation Thursday, you can do so in the following ways. On Facebook, like the Transformation Thursday podcast. To support us financially, you can do so by going to our Patreon page by typing www.transformationthursday.com into your browser of choice. On Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe to Transformation Thursday. And on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and write us a short review. It's free, and it really helps to get Transformation Thursday out to a broader audience. Finally, Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material, all rights reserved, 2019. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. Penny and I are just going to do a quick little wrap up here. You know, Penny, one of the things that amazed me is, you know, and I, we spoke about this in the interview, is the amount of experience somebody like Bree has. And like, literally, she can shoot down missiles coming in from North Korea. And I think that cartoon just summed it up so perfectly. Yeah, I think we need to find that cartoon and put it on our on our Patreon page so that people can see it. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it, it really is. And, you know, this literally is life and death matters, not just for us, but for uh, if you if you believe in the mission of the United States military is protecting the protecting us. She is literally on the front lines. She's designing the front lines. Yeah, it's not like she says, not soldiers with uh, with rifles on their shoulders. It is the it is the Air Force that is one of the primary and, and the, the nerds like her that are keeping us safe. And to lose someone like her simply because she is being who she is is a, a big problem. And the thing that that's, that still upsets me, and probably because where I am with my own, uh, my own journey, is the amount of gatekeeping, the amount of unnecessary hoops that she had to jump through in order to stay uh, in the military as who she really is. And having to find these doctors i cuz i'm i'm right there and it is it, it is humiliating and it's and it is embarrassing and it is unnecessary well yeah and I, you know when we look at this so let's talk about breast enhancement just here real quickly you know if a cisgender woman goes in for breast enhancement they say okay when do you want them in but for us you know i know i was considering breast enhancement and i think that's you know we got to get letters to say that we're nor that we're not normal. That's a poor choice of words, but that we're sane and we're competent to make this decision. Yeah, and the fact that I have to find somebody that and and and, and like more money from me to find a second person if I can't, you know, it's it's ah, yeah, it's, oh, it's just frustrating. Frustrating, and, right? So. But that's but that's neither here nor there. That that'll be a topic for another yep. transformation Thursday, someplace down the road. Yeah, and I think, you know, and then to wrap this up, you know, the, the, the amazing thing that Bree said in there that I didn't realize was also, you know, that transgender people sign up at a much higher rate per capita than our cisgender counterparts. So that to me is a very amazing thing. And I know I tried a couple of times to get in the military, but due to some medical issues, I was not able to make it in. So that does not surprise me one bit. So why do, you know, if you want to sign up and serve our country and defend ourselves from our enemies, why, why wouldn't we let that happen? Yeah. And, and, and I was reading up on, on some of the stuff that she was, that, that she had on her, on her, on her Sparta page. And one of these stories that features her also features a, a young man named Matt, named Matt Pesquera, who got an ROTC scholarship because he was so smart uh, and was looking forward to a career in the military when they said, well, the mil military ban is coming and you cannot serve anymore. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, just heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And I so. hope that I hope this gets turned fast so that people like Map who want to serve and will serve well uh, get a chance to do that. Yep. But but that's it for this week's version. Oh, of hold on, what, real quick. What? What? what, 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 what people, why? we need support because we do have expenses associated with our podcast. So please, that's right? Yeah. So please go to our Patreon page, and if you want to find it, you just have to go to your browser of choice. And Penny would say, type in transformationthursday.com. But I'm kind of partial to the www.transformationthursday.com. So. Get Is this there. because you were a fan of worldwide wrestling when you were a kid? Yes. I figured as much. All right. So, yeah, www.transformationthursday.com or just plain old transformationthursday.com. Either of those will get you to our page. You can read up about us. You can read up about what we're doing. You can see some links. And you can also find uh, podcasts, other podcast uh, links there as well. So to hear all of our witty dialogue and sparkling repartee, just go right there. But for now, thank you, WAYOFM, for uh, these wonderful studios to make this possible and uh, we will see you soon. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny.